men, welcome to the Faith Bridge Men Podcast. I'm your host, Mace Perez, Men's Discipleship Coordinator at Faith Bridge, and I'm so excited that you're joining us as we continue our current season, Fight the Good Fight. All spring, we're going to be encouraging, inspiring, and challenging men to believe the true gospel and to be transformed by the gospel. And as part of this journey, we are highlighting stories of the men of Faith Bridge who are fighting the good fight. These aren't super men or super Christians, they're regular guys like you and me whose lives have been and are being transformed by the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And joining me today is my friend Dylan Lucas. Dylan, thank you for being here today. Well, thanks, Mace. Yeah. So uh, to start, um, many people at FaithBridge are probably somewhat familiar with you, but just tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, how you first came to FaithBridge, and what your current role at FaithBridge is. Okay. Well, I am a 48-year-old missions pastor now. And I met my wife in Dallas. We have four kids. Her name is Jennifer. We have Brooks, Sydney, Briley, and Turner. Everyone's a teenager, so we have four teenagers under one roof. So you can That's imagine fighting the good fight right there. I am fighting the good fight <laughs> on a daily basis. And sometimes we're winning, and sometimes we're breaking even. And then there are other days. Um, I came to FaithBridge about eleven and change years ago as um, the student student ministry pastor. Yeah, and helped resurrect um, a program that had gone kind of flat uh, for a couple of years and then jumped over into discipleship and then jumped over into being the executive pastor and now we're at missions. So that's uh, that's kind of a story of FaithBridge here. Yeah. Uh, so tell us, uh, missions pastor, what does that look like? What are some of your main roles and responsibilities there? Well, there are many people that uh, we support overseas and across the nation uh, as missionaries, and we're starting to get them um, in a pile a little bit, and we'd like to get more information out about them to the body. We've been supporting those for years, so FaithBridge is, is involved in kingdom work in places that most FaithBridgers don't know. And I think in finding... Um, some of the relationships that I've been making with them is they're desperate for prayer and interaction with faith preachers. And I'm hoping that we can get some of their stories out uh, to people so that we can get them a little bit more acquainted with the average faith preacher. Uh, we're also over the road. Uh, so the road is a, a massive undertaking where we develop uh, students through missions, but we also develop adults through missions. Yeah, I love that. I, you know, our, our mission here at FaithBridge is making more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ to make more and stronger disciples of Jesus Christ, which, of course, is essentially just our take on the Great Commission, where yeah. Jesus, after he was resurrected, appears to his disciples, and he says, now go make disciples of mm -hmm. all nations. So I love uh, that you mentioned, I think people are aware of what we're doing to fulfill that Great Commission around here, but we are active as a body going to the nations and yes. supporting those who are doing that work. So I love um, just what you're doing over there as our missions pastor. So well, thank, thank you. you for that. So um, our theme, as I mentioned for the semester, is fight the good fight. And the first step of that is believing the true gospel. There's a, a ton of false gospels and false messages that we are literally being bombarded with every moment of every day. And so uh, tell us a little bit more about your story and how you you first came to believe the true gospel. Okay. Uh, I didn't come to Christ until about 22 years old, so I wasn't raised in a Christian home at all. Uh, I didn't have much backdrop on Christianity, except I knew that he had something to do with Christmas, and I trusted that it probably was a God, and it had something to do with this Jesus character, but I really had no understanding or pinning uh, when it came to religion. 
So given that, if you can imagine, uh, what was important to me was all the, the trimmings of, of the world, uh, money, uh, women, uh, even as a teenager, alcohol, things like that, chased all those things. Um, and I had a steady drip of some people that did love me. One was a, a believer, a uh, owner-operator of a Christian um, facility, Chick-fil-A, really. Uh, his name is Britt Ratledge, and he was the first guy that believed in me when I was about 15 years old. That did not stop me from being a carouser uh, of sorts uh, for a couple of years, but at the same time, um, there was a steady drip of stories, and he would begin to, to talk about how Jesus was guiding him. And those things, to me, were so outlandish, to be honest. And he was always kind to me. Uh, he was always someone that looked after me and empowered me. I was a very young assistant manager for him, so I knew he believed in me. Um, at the same time, I didn't want to follow what he was following, but I knew it meant something to him. Uh, it took me probably getting to the end of my travel through sin. Uh, I started to become a little disenchanted with those things, um, those things that i travel with before that gave you a high or gave you um, some feeling of significance began to lose their luster. And one by one, God began to removing them from my life before I really even knew to give him credit for those things. Uh, I was a little bit confused as to why those things weren't doing it for me anymore. And uh, at some point I was rid of all those. And um, at a particular meeting in Houston, Texas, even though I lived in South Carolina at the time, I was out here uh, for a major function with Amway, and there's a couple families that are very, um, very much Christian. They'll have a third day of their major functions where they'll do a non-denominational service. And I heard the gospel for the third time in four months, roughly. Third time was the charm. Uh, the first two times, I was very prideful. I had survived dadlessness. Um, uh, there was a stepdad. There was a, real, a biological dad. Both were not great guys. And I kind of wore that as a badge of honor that I had survived those things. I was tough. I saw religion as um, a crutch. And when people would come down to a, an altar call, I thought, well, that's nice for them. But for me, I'm strong and I don't need those things, but that's nice for them. I'm glad they have that. This third time, though, it was clear that I didn't have the answers. And um, the more the speaker talked, uh, the more I realized I was, I was really far from the truth. And there was a moment where he asked if we, if we wanted to pray and have this relationship uh, to come down, and we would do those things. And I had no clue what was about to happen next. I uh, stood up at the same time my best friend's dad stood up and his brother stood up, and we all looked at each other, kind of nervous, not knowing how to explain why we were all standing up. Went down for an altar call, and um, we all prayed this prayer. And I can tell you that I did not know what would happen next. I didn't know the next steps of anything in Christianity, but from that moment, I felt there was a freedom, and I couldn't describe it much more than I was uh, free of uh, some sort of burden. I, I know now it was guilt, um, but at the same time, at the time, I was just excited, um, and then things began to progress from there. Oh, man, I love that. Um, this is a bit of a, a, a tangent, but I I feel like it has to be said is, is even your admission that the first couple times you heard the gospel, you mm -hmm. wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I know one of the things, another thing that you're, you're passionate about now is, is seeing believers taking the gospel, um, not only to all nations, but to their neighbors, their coworkers, mm -hmm. their unbelieving family members. And that, um, truly when we say 
around here making more and stronger disciples who make more and stronger disciples. Yeah. That, that mission of making disciples is something that's for all of us. And of course, a huge part of that is evangelizing, sharing the good news. Mm-hmm. It's more than just inviting to a church service, so that can absolutely be a, a one tool in your, your toolbox. And I, I, I know from personal experience and just talking to so many faith bridgers, you know, uh, we can feel like we failed when we've shared that message yeah. and it's fallen on deaf ears. And so I just love, um, even though it's not the main kind of focus of this conversation, I just love how your story highlights how um, just because you share the gospel and the person doesn't receive it in that moment doesn't, doesn't mean it was a failure. That, yeah. that we're to keep sharing and keep sharing. Well, I can know. I can add to that, Mace. Um, that guy who would, would share again and again, Britt, um, when I got saved that day, the upline in that organization said, hey, he gave me a Bible and handed me uh, the Bible and said, hey, you need to call someone and, and testify that this happened today. And that made no sense to me at the time. I was like, okay, so that's part of it. Yeah, that's part of it. So I went and used a payphone. That's how long ago it's been. <laughs> um, and I called Britt Ratledge and... Um, heard his voice and he's like, Hey, what you need? Um, he was Tennessee guy. So he's like, hi, what you need? Um, <laughs> so I, I said, well, I, I just wanted you to know I received Christ today. I was supposed to call someone. So I called you. He's like, Hey, I thought you was already a believer. And I was like, <laughs> um, actually, no, I, I was telling you that. So you'd stop telling me stories about Jesus. <laughs> and he said, ah, I know. I'm like, wait, wait, how did you know? He's like, you're not that hard to figure out. <laughs> I'm like, so he, he had been faithful for uh, the better part of seven years of stories of meeting me and he would not be shy about telling me why he was doing what he was doing and how God had led him. And I probably gave him no inkling that I was headed that direction. Um, no good feelings to, for him to go home and go, man, he's close. Uh, so for him to be the recipient of that call, yeah, it says that the spread of the seeds does come back at some point. I love that. Take, take me back, uh, before that moment a little bit more i i'm i think men can relate to all those things that you mentioned that you were chasing other than christ earlier in your life you talked about money and women and alcohol and even just kind of this like pride Mm self-made man um machismo essentially um we're talking about how we don't come to believe those things in a vacuum there, there are things that contribute to us internalizing, accepting those messages. And I don't know how much you're able to consciously, you know, kind of dissect that, but to, to whatever degree you're able, what, what led you to chasing those things um, before you realized um, who Jesus was? Um, I don't think my answer is unique to humans. Uh, you're looking for significance and you're looking to belong. And those two things will drive you to something. Um, as a young kid, uh, not on a sports team because I was a little smaller than most and got C's. In my house, if you got C's, you didn't get to make the team because you had to stay home and do more homework. And for the undiagnosed ADHD kid, that's tough. Um, you can go through go B's through the fall, but not by, by spring. Uh, so I was looking to belong. And the, those pathways were a place to show off, um, to be seen and to be accepted. And I think those are the places that um, can get you in real trouble if they're not good places that you're seen and accepted because um, you're wondering who you are. You're wondering if you're worthwhile, if you matter to people. Uh, so even though I didn't appear to be 
a depressed kid at all. As a matter of fact, I, I'm very much half full. I was a very fun kid, did impressions and uh, did stand up in, in high school, et cetera. But there was a need to be seen, a need to be accepted, and some accolades to come my way. And when those things came through drinking or through girls um, or through working hard to make money so that you could share that money with other people or buy people things, um, then that, there was at least something uh, to hold on to. Uh, coming from no relationship with dad, um, mom didn't have a spiritual relationship with me, so there was no, there was a void in the area of, of spirituality. It was as if that wouldn't be uh, something you'd chase because it wasn't applauded by the world. Uh, the world applauds um, things that are not of, of the, the Lord. So I had no idea of the Lord. I only had an idea of, of the world. Therefore, I chased those things. What it makes me think of, and obviously, I mean, this was true for you, you know, many years ago, but my impression is that it's only more so now, this idea of we want to make more stronger disciples. We want to share the gospel. We want to see people believe the true gospel. But I think increasingly we're seeing that people have to feel that they belong before they're willing to believe. And that doesn't mean that I think, um, you know, they're they're a, a true Christ follower, a true member of the church until they come to that that point of belief. But I think it does, your, your story highlights how we need to show that sort of love to people. Um, you know, my mind also went to so often in the the church, our our uh, attitude towards the world is just one of judgment and condemnation. And while to some degree, yes, we need, we need to be discerning between sin and righteousness. Mm-hmm. But Paul says in First Corinthians, what what business do we have judging the world? Like, it should not surprise us when the world acts like the world. Absolutely. But once someone does come to faith in Christ and and, and surrenders their life to to the lordship of Christ and, and accepts him as their savior. Now we have permission to say, hey, you say you believe this, but here's some areas where you're out of step. But for that non-believer, bef- we don't want to put the cart before the, for right. the horse, you know, and because we can intentionally or unintentionally send the message of, well, you can't come to Jesus until you clean up your act. And it's like, right. you yeah, know. and I think I would have believed that when I was younger because I thought that only perfect people went to church. And boy, was I wrong, because eventually I got to go to church, and I'm like, oh, you guys have issues, too. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was a learning curve on that one, too. But yeah, you, you end up uh, believing some really strange things on that side of it. Right. Um, so speaking of that idea of, you know, yes, the world is going to act like the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and yeah. he never justified their sin, but he was kind and loving towards them. Um, but at the point that someone does come to, to faith and, and does come to believe the true gospel, there should be change from that mm-hmm. point, that the gospel is not just, I, I think as Tim Keller says, that the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life, it's the A to Z. Sure. And so as, as we think about fighting the good fight, yes, it's believing the true gospel, but it's also being transformed by the gospel. So tell me a little bit either, you know, just kind of immediately when you came to that moment mm-hmm. uh, 22 years ago or, you know, some of the highlights since then of, of what the gospel has done in your life since that moment of first belief. Okay. Um, 
I think the, the first moments of change were, were really learning um, and not knowing what the change was, except that I didn't desire to go do the things I had before or return to those. Um, there, there was no temptation there. Uh, there was relief, and there was this exploring of a new place. Uh, I had to lean on a lot of believers to, to help me along and understand things. Uh, my naivety uh, of the things that could ensnare me in sin was uh, really uh, quite evident when I would get around believers and I would say what I was going to go do with my day. And they might highlight something and go, are you sure that's the best thing for you to do? And I would look them in the eye, Mason, not, not know why they'd asked. And they're like, oh, so yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to Did you need to come? Did you want to come? Like, they're like, no, I didn't want to come to that at all. Like, and you shouldn't go either because uh, I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. So I began to pull those things off and, and they would teach me why. Uh, why that this would be better. And I think the the things I thought were wonderful in life rapidly changed uh, because the things that I thought were wonderful before, I mean, if I got a chance to go to uh, an Atlanta Braves game uh, in person or a Clemson football game in person, those were probably the highlights of, of any year uh, of my life in the, those days. But I could go to do those things. They would pale in comparison to a, a Tuesday night with junior hires. Um, at, or a, a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. Um, and this was highlighted one time for coming off of a, um, a mission trip. And we, we'd gotten back into the town that we were in. And one of the kids said, hey, would you like to go to, sh- to uh, Cleveland to see the, the Sox and the, the Indians? Like, absolutely. That's a yes every time. So we went there. But I'm with two or three boys that had just been on the mission trip with me as well. So we're still fresh off of those things. We're talking about those things. And we got there, and I'd never had box seats before. And if you're listening, you don't know what those are. I neither did I, because um, they asked me my what I wanted to eat like before I got to the ballpark. I was like, I'll just decide at the stand; it's fine. Like, no, they'll have it in the room. Like, what's that? So I had box seats. There was a, a a balcony for us to go out and enjoy the game with the commoners, and then come back in and have all the uh, Aquafina we could drink. Uh, and I remember sitting there. Um, looking out at the game and thinking, and I was praying. I was like, Lord, this, there was a time when this would have been the best thing I could possibly imagine. And I, I can't tell you, Lord, that I don't actually want to be back where we were two days ago uh, on the Navajo reservation with children talking about Jesus. I, I thank you for this uh, opportunity to see a game, and I thank you for the kids that brought me here, but this is not as good as what you're doing in the lives of people and if I could be in those places more often, I think I'd be even happier. So I think those are the radical shifts right away was what is exciting in my life. And it was always something to do with, with him. The people that I want to meet changed right away too because I started meeting people who talked differently than me. Uh, they were more excited than me. Um, and they had had different experiences than me. And they were all centered around uh, life change and Jesus. And they talked about him in a different way. And since I had none of those experiences, I was drawn to those people. And I would say that my heroes changed uh, almost immediately. And I would meet someone and go, man, if I could get a little bit more of their time or listen to them a little bit more, uh, maybe I could understand how they think and how they go about things, how they got uh, to where they're at. And God provided those things in spades for me. Um, I've gotten to meet people all over the world. And sometimes unbeknownst to me, I'll be in um, a different country and Someone will walk in with the group of people that we're supposed to see, and there's an amazing saint there uh, who has spent their life loving the people in their community, um, 
learning, always learning and having conversations that, that matter about the Lord. And that's a new hero. Um, so the people I esteem in this life change dramatically. Uh, how did I change through all that? Um, sin is not as appetizing for sure. Um, and you, as you grow, uh, and God changes you, I think my ability to see when things are out of whack is much greater. Um, I can't self-sabotage like I used to. I was very good at it before. Now, uh, I know the truth. And when you know the truth, you can either surrender and follow the Lord, or you build a foxhole and you argue about it. And uh, the latter did not seem uh, like it was even reasonable anymore. So can I sin? Yes, absolutely. I, I'm, I can be prideful. Ask my wife. Um, she's, she would tell you, yes, he's, he's fully capable. Um, but I don't sit there long. Uh, the correction comes quickly. And I think that's the Holy Spirit, um, allowing the Holy Spirit to talk to you and recognize that voice of, of correction and guidance. Um, and the dreams change too. Right? So, I mean, the dreams of um, maybe owning a restaurant one day and um, having a dog it was pretty much my uh, top-end dreams that I had. And now they, the dreams are to change the world. Um, through different lives that you come across, whether that's students working in student ministry or working through adults, it doesn't matter, but wherever they go, they're around people. And the, uh, the great commission wasn't just for the guys that he left in the, in the dirt. Uh, it was for all of us to come. And he sprinkles us all throughout the land, whether we're at jobs and neighborhoods and everywhere else. And most of us aren't alone and that's not by accident. So changing a life, whether it's kids or, or adults, they're going somewhere else. They're not always going to be with you. That means you're going to change their um, their surroundings. And I think that is the most exciting thing to me, and those are the dreams that I have. And those can come in all forms, but um, my heroes, my dreams, um, what I think is important, I would say everything changed. And even coming back to maybe old friends for the first couple of iterations with me was unique for them because uh, they weren't talking to the same guy and it was evident. And sometimes it was pleasant and sometimes it was abrupt <laughs> because uh, they knew me to be this other guy uh, that could chug a beer in less than two seconds. And they liked that about me. Well, that guy's gone mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, replaced as this guy's concerned about their soul and concerned about how they're, they're uh, loving other people. So it was, it was a learning curve for myself too, as to how to, to uh, relate to people who were much more like I used to be uh, than I am now, but I also understand them um, because I get what, what what it's like to walk around without information and to to be lost and looking for some sort of uh, significance. Hmm. That was a long answer. I'm sorry about that. No, it was great. Uh, a couple of things that just came to my mind was I, I love how you said you know the dream now is is seeing this exponential effect of the gospel that is one person's life has changed everything around them and everyone around them is, is impacted in mm -hmm. some way. And then every time they move or change jobs, like there's opportunity in that. And yeah. it made me think of one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about what we do at Faith Bridge Men is, is exactly that reason is because I'm a, I'm a big believer that when you change a man, you don't just change that man. You change his family, you change his workplace, you change his community, mm -hmm. that exponential effect. And then I loved, too, a couple of scripture passages that came to my mind as you were just kind of sharing how 
like living for Christ and living fully surrendered actually offered far more joy than yeah, anything that you had changed you know, chased before, my mind went to two places of all the way back to the garden where the serpent comes to the man and the woman. And essentially he says, hey, God's holding out on you. Mm -hmm. They were in a perfect world, no sin, no death, no pain, no sickness. And he said, you know, he got them to believe as amazing as this is, God's holding out on you. And all, he promised them joy, but it just brought pain and death. And that's still what goes on to this day. And, it, and I, the other place where my mind went was when Jesus, you know, told the crowd, he said, if anyone would come after me, if, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a follower, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, which sounds painful. And, and there's something about the, there's that surrender piece, which is not always fun in the moment. But he said, for the reason why, he said, is for whoever loses his life will save it, that by surrendering, you actually... You give yourself uh, a pathway to even greater joy, oh, yeah. but whoever would seek to save his life will lose it. And he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? So you can get the women and the money and party and do all these things. Well, what does it matter in the end if it costs you your soul yeah. when there's a greater joy to be found in forsaking those things, at least forsaking those things as ultimate things mm-hmm. and and putting Christ as the ultimate thing that you're chasing. Mm-hmm. So t- tell me about Dylan today. What is, what is the Lord doing in your life today? How is he continuing to to refine you and show you more of who he is and, and increase your joy in him? Well, the refining has never stopped uh, because I think Dylan was a hard-headed guy when he started and um, I've, I've grown a ton, but the Days when I can be hard-headed as well. Uh, raising kids and being married has been the the great refining for me. Um, ministry has come a lot easier than um, than being married and, and being a dad. Both have been great. Like, I'm not complaining, but both have been revealing uh, to the idea that, hey, Dylan, you're actually pretty selfish. Um, you can think you got some lessons down, in life, uh, I think I've learned several things again, and I, I, I fall for it every time. Like, I, I won't learn this lesson again. I've got it, and I move on, and I, I end up in a selfish spot again. Uh, I end up seeking my own, and then uh, whether you're annoyed by someone in your family or you are wanting something to be yours or you feel like you're entitled to that, and you say the words, whether it's in your head or out loud, hey, I deserve. I, I've gotten there a couple of times where I deserve it to be this way. I deserve it you're already way off because um, he's asked us uh, to love others like we love ourselves. He's asked us to put others first. These are simple things he asked us. And when we talk about, hey, did you go to theology school? Have you learned these deep truths of other things? If you can't get those simple things down, and you, you don't have much. So the simple things keep coming back. And I think dealing with um, um, unmet expectations that you didn't even audibleize, but they were there, uh, when uh, people have disappointed you, but it was actually you disappointing yourself, um, those things I think have been the refining process. I mean, I, I love my family. I love all four kids, and I love my wife. And I think I've had to to cry and cry out to God and ask for forgiveness several times when I've blamed them for whatever I'm angry about, and it really comes down to me not listening and, or me listening to a voice that, like you said in the garden, there's a different voice ask, asking them to not trust. 
And when we get angry, we listen to a voice. It's either us that's upset and, and deceived or it's the enemy. And I've been in, guilty of those things and you vilify everyone around you to raise yourself up. I think the refining process is to catch that early and go, no, 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 no. <laughs> that is, repeat that to yourself. That That is not what God says. And God says, this person is lovely. This person's this. And you should uh, put yourself before this, um, them before you. Uh, all those things are the refining process. What What's on the horizon? Well, we've got four teenagers. Uh, so learning to be a dad of teenagers um, who are setting them up to be young adults and Jetta setting them off. Um, it's the uh, process. I've loved being a father more than anything else. Like it's been one of my favorite things. Even though it's been a more, the more refining thing, it's been my favorite thing. But getting ready for them to go off and be the adult by themselves, uh, there's a little bit of sadness I'm preparing for uh, because there is some loss when your kids go away. But I'm also excited about what they'll do and what they'll take, what they've learned, and, and, and blossom. Uh, so that, that's the next phase of life is setting them up for success and helping them uh, leave the nest um, and seeing what God does with those things. And there's no pressure on them to, uh, to do that. But at the same time, once they all realize their faith is completely their own and God did not save them by accident and wherever they are, again, they can reach out to it everyone that can be useful in the kingdom. Uh, it's going to be pretty fun to watch as dad, um, watching his kids who are, are grown and gone. But that's the, the next step. We're, we're learning hard truths at home and in life. And uh, school's a great place. Sports is a great place. All those places, they're around kids who are struggling as well and um, learning that God loves each one of those people and um, not to overlook them. But at the same time, um, they need to grow themselves. So... Those are the things I'm mostly involved in right now. Uh, I've got some dreams as well. We talk for uh, a couple hours off the off the, the, <laughs> the record, but um, there are some big things to come that God's asked me to come into um, that I can't wait to be in, fr- in front of other people um, doing the same thing that we've been doing here. But th- those are on the horizon. Well, that's exciting. I'm I'm excited to to get to as a a, a fan fan and a, a friend of. Dylan and the whole Lucas family, I'm excited to, to watch the Lord continue to work in you and through you. And I, I speak as someone who's not only your friend, but someone who's been deeply impacted by um, your life and ministry. So excited to continue that that journey uh, far after we, we go off the air. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for being here, Dylan. Just your humility and vulnerability, I think men are going to be really helped by everything that you, you had to say. And uh, thank you guys for for being here to join us on this journey to fight the good fight as we believe the true gospel and are transformed by the gospel. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, subscribe to, and share this podcast so that more men can be reached with this gospel and can lock arms to fight the good fight together. Men, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Faith Bridge Men podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe so you can catch future episodes and help us spread the good news by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing this episode with another man who would be helped by the content. And we will catch you next time on the Faith Bridge Men podcast. Until then, keep fighting the good fight.